Cohen has funded research for more than 40 years to find the cures for metastatic breast cancer, also known as stage four. But the five-year relative survival rate for those living with MBC remains only 29%. That means seven out of every 10 people with MBC are expected to live less than five years. This year alone in the US, nearly 44,000 lives will be lost to MBC. This week is MBC week, and we are publishing a new episode every day to shed light on the people who are impacted the most when a life is lost to MBC. The husbands, daughters, sisters, and friends who are left behind. Each of our guests this week is driven by the purpose to help find the cures for MBC and to be a positive force for hope. From Susan G. Komen, this is Real Pink, a podcast exploring real stories, struggles, and triumphs related to breast cancer. We're taking the conversation from the doctor's office to your living room. This is a promising time in metastatic breast cancer research. Many new treatments for MBC are under study and treatment is improving, allowing families more time with their loved ones. Today's guest became a breast cancer researcher after her mother was diagnosed with breast cancer. Following her late sister's MBC diagnosis and passing, she has dedicated her career to research that will help to identify women who are especially high risk of metastatic breast cancer and to identifying lifestyle changes that may improve quality of life for women living with metastatic breast cancer. Here today to share their story in her sister's memory and how her family history fuels her passion in searching for cures is Komen scholar, Dr. Julie Palmer. Dr. Palmer, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you and, and to hear uh, your stories, uh, especially in honor of your sister. So I understand you have a family history of breast cancer. Can you tell me about your mother's experience first and then also about your sister's initial diagnosis and subsequent recurrence? Sure. My mother was diagnosed with breast cancer while I was still a child. I don't even know exactly what, you know, maybe in sixth or seventh grade, something like that a long time ago. And um, in those days, the treatments were very different, but my, and most women, I believe were given a, what was called a radical mastectomy. My mother had that and that completely cured that breast cancer. And then about maybe nine years later, she had a second primary breast cancer. That means she had breast cancer in her other breast. And she again, she had surgery and that cured it. And my mother was lucky. She lived to be 93. And, you know, the cancer never came back. And her sister was not as lucky. She had uh, was diagnosed with breast cancer about the same as age as my mother was the second time. So in their early 50s or so. And um, she died just a few years later. I think she kind of succumbed to some of the uh, treatments, which uh, the family was very private. So I don't know a lot about that. So I, but based on that, I knew I wanted to be a breast cancer researcher. My training is in epidemiology. As epidemiologists, we learn to study any condition we you know we have skills and knowledge for how to do that and to study a variety of exposure exposures or things that might cause the diseases 
Um, I have, as I said, focused most of my research on breast cancer and different aspects of it over the lifetime. I love that. I love it. So, so then that was your mother's story. Share a little bit about your sister's story as well, please. Um, my sister was a wonderful person and we kind of went through life side by side because we were pretty close in age. She was a little bit older than me. And um, like my mother, my sister was first diagnosed with breast cancer in her late 40s before the menopause, but close to the age of menopause. And that's an age at which um, breast cancer begins to be more common. Um, late 40s, early 50s. That's when you do see a lot of women being diagnosed with breast cancer, although it does become more common at 55, 60. But it's not uncommon at that age. And when my sister was diagnosed, I think she wasn't that scared. She was. Um, everyone who's diagnosed with cancer of any type is completely life-changing. It is... It, it's a terrible experience. At the same time, she maybe wasn't as scared as other people because of our mother's experience. And uh, at the time, she had a, a daughter who was maybe in eighth grade or something, sixth or eighth grade. And um, she decided to have a mastectomy and have a double mastectomy, which, you know, the science shows it's not necessary to have that, but many women do choose to have a double mastectomy because they don't want to be worrying all the time. So, you know, there are many different opinions of that, but that is what she did. And um, she had a very good oncologist and she went for a second opinion um, at my urging and went to a very, very well-known person at a cancer center. And both agreed that given that she had stage one breast cancer and uh, what was known at the time, which now was 18 years ago, so they didn't have all of the oncotype DX and some of the things that are around now for, for figuring out prognosis. But still, given the information they had, they felt she didn't need chemotherapy or other horm hormonal treatments. So she had her surgery and thought she would be fine. And she was fine. She was fine for eight or nine years. And then she discovered some little bumps on her chest and went to see her doctor. And her doctor sent her for scans. And that's when she found out that the cancer had come back. It had metastasized to her bones and to her lungs. Mm -hmm. And that's when someone gets that diagnosis, metastatic breast cancer, it means you cannot be cured, but your goal is to live a good life for as long as you can. Hmm. Wow. And, and so how long did Beth live with NBC and, and was she able to continue normal activities or what was that like for her? Um, I think she knew almost as well as I knew. And I certainly knew when she called me on the phone that this was a death sentence. But she, and she begged her doctor to tell her, you know, how long can I expect or what's the average? And her oncologist very smartly said, I cannot give you an answer to that question because it, it keeps, it, not only is it different for every person, but it changes over time. And at that time, 
I knew from my research that the median age for living with metastatic breast cancer was about two years. So half the people died within two years, half lived longer. I didn't tell her that either. And I knew that that would probably change. And, and it has changed so much over time. Not to say that some people don't die in the first year or two. They do, but women are living longer and longer. My sister lived nine years after that diagnosis of metastatic breast cancer. Wow. And she, those were precious years. She saw her daughter through high school, through college, and her daughter, my niece and my goddaughter, got her dream job out of college as a kindergarten teacher in the New York City public schools. So she was able to move away from home, just not that many hours from where Beth lived, but sort of set herself up as an adult. And uh, a year and a half later, her mother died. But that was, you know, those years were so precious. Mm. And And until the very end, the last few months, my sister lived a completely full life. She kept her full time job with the federal government. She was an um, administrative judge with the EEOC. So she heard employment, uh, you know, unfair employment practice cases, and she was very committed to that. She was an active mother involved in her daughter's, you know, sports and all these types of things with all the other parents doing things and she had an avocation she loved to play bridge and she was very good at it she had won many world championships with her partner the women's world championships and she continued to travel to play bridge after this diagnosis of metastatic breast cancer i think the i think she went to china one time after that she went to india for these tournaments were two or three weeks Mm. And she won a couple more with her partner and she played in the U.S. that they have three nationals a year. That's what she loved. All her friends did that. And that's what she used all her vacation time to do. And so her oncologist, uh, she was treated at one of the um, comprehensive cancer centers and her oncologist made it possible for her to do this by scheduling her chemo, she had infusions of regular chemotherapy and infusions to um, make the bones stronger. And for a while she was on Herceptin. And, you know, so she had like, she was in there a lot and the oncologist was able to organize them around so that she could travel. Wow. And it wasn't, it wasn't easy because the first couple years to maybe three years, she didn't have to have chemotherapy she took the aromatase inhibitors because she hadn't had them before. So they were effective. And with all the advances in research on treatments, she really benefited because she, like many other women, would start on something. It would work for nine months or maybe the first one, maybe a little longer. And the scans happen every, I think, three months, three to six months, depending. And then when they, the cancers were coming back in different sites, they would change her to another, and that would work for a while. And when those stopped working, then there was chemotherapy. And so she lived wearing a wig for the last six years of her life. And she that's what she did. She went down to that cancer center, you know, drove herself down, sat there, brought her lunch, you know, was around all those fabulous nurses that 
do that treat oncology patients. And um, she really did, I don't, we don't know how, and she had a couple bad spells. One point early on, they didn't realize the cancer had come back in her spine enough that she was in absolutely intolerable pain and she had to have surgery afterwards to remove parts of the, the tumor from there. And we didn't know she would make it and she didn't never wanted to live with that pain again. But after a year, she was better and she went on to have many good quality years. She sounds remarkable, like a like a force to be reckoned with. Um, I love that. It's so inspiring. So inspiring. Well, so so talk to me about NBC treatments and, and research. How is your work specifically contributing to improving quality of life? So since I'm an epidemiologist and not a, a practicing physician or a basic scientist, whereby basic scientists really work on the mechanisms that lead to the drugs that help to um, prevent the further growth of tumors, which is what we want from metastatic breast cancer. What I do is study populations to try to figure out what's helping one group that isn't helping another, you know, what, how these things work, and, and especially studying factors other than medications that may also lead to either better quality of life for women who already have metastatic breast cancer or a lower chance of the cancer escaping the initial site and becoming metastatic. So that my research um, towards the latter is actually doing studying large groups of women who've developed stage one, two, or three breast cancer and finding out how as free living people are there differences if they have regular physical activity versus not? If they die, eat a diet higher in fruits and vegetables, for example, or some other type of diet, um, whether some of the medications that are given for other conditions, common conditions like hypertension and diabetes, may actually help improve their outcomes. Um, so that's part of my research. And the other part having to do with women who already have metastatic breast cancer is research on factors that contribute to a better quality of life over those years. That's fascinating. I love that. I love that. Uh, and, and thankful for the research that you're doing. So I, I'm curious, as a breast cancer research, what was it like to watch your sister go through this experience? Well, I will tell you, it definitely made me more interested in studying survivorship versus causes of breast cancer, which earlier I had been more focused on. Um, it, it gave me, it brought to me as a researcher a very different point of view. It added to my starting point, you know, you can only read so much and get so much from it. But when you're in that experience with someone you love, then every study you're doing or questionnaire you're developing, there's just something different in there that you want to ask or want you to know about. For example, one of the things I learned Every time I visited my sister, I would see a dining room table covered with papers, 
bills and insurance forms and all this. And my sister was someone who had a, a decent insurance plan from the federal government. Nevertheless, it, insurance never covers everything. And with that whole spinal surgery she had and different things, you know, they were always, and you get bills from so many different people, not just the hospital, but anesthesiologists, the surgeon, we've all heard about that. It's a huge burden to keep up with. And it's a burden to pay all those extra costs. It, but it's it can be a full-time job even just to do that. And then when you take someone who has a different job that doesn't have as good insurance, you know, I just wonder how people can do it. Yeah, I would imagine that that experience, I mean, it 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 really in a very intimate way for you puts a face with all of the work that you're doing, right? Right. It does. Mm -hmm. And then another aspect was as soon as my uh, sister's breast cancer came back, I became in a way her patient navigator. So I could, you know, be a step ahead. I could help her interpret these recommendations she was getting, what the treatments would be like, you know, the side effects. When she went for her first chemo and she called me and said, I feel so nauseous, you know, I could say, well, this is when you need to call the nurse. This is what they're there for. They want to hear from you because they can change. Your next infusion can be different. And people don't know that. And, yeah. uh, you know, that's why... The patient navigation programs, which actually Komen was, you know, instrumental in first developing and supporting these programs. And we still need for them to be much more widespread than they are, you know, um, right now. So it, yeah, it's uh, made me aware of how important patient navigation is. I can only imagine how valuable you must have been as a patient navigator, um, just being able to help her walk through that. So that must have been really been a blessing. So it, back to you as, as a sister, is there anything specific that's helped you heal uh, ex since experiencing your sister's passing? Um, I think the biggest thing is, um, and we're coming up to three years pretty soon, my brother mentioned to me last night, because, you know, everything's, connect to different different trips or different other events. So, um, but the biggest thing has been my relationship with my goddaughter, um, my sister's only child, and uh, who happens to be close in age to my daughter. But I have this independent relationship with my goddaughter. I consider her my other daughter. And when I talk with her on the phone, it's not the same, but it brings a lot of that joy that, and I, I miss it. It helps me not miss that relationship I have with my sister so much. It's hard to explain, but um, my sister and I talked about everything on the phone. We talked about once a week and we knew everything in each other's lives. And I happen to know she shared a lot with, with her daughter because they were very close and she shared everything about her daughter with me. So when I talk with her, when I talk with my niece, I know she knows a lot of backstories and it's really fun. She's only 27, but we have a lot of fun together. And that has helped me heal. And and then, um, so amazingly, I was going through some photos uh, for actually for the October Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Um, and I saw a picture of my sister wearing one of the Komen Walk 
t-shirts. And then I remember that she did that in the early years. Uh, I I can't actually can't remember it was before the Medisac or after, but she did it a few years and her daughter, who was a kid then, did it with her. So I was bringing it up to my niece and she said, I want to do that again. And I said, I want to do it with you. So those, you know, those are the kinds of things. That's why when you go to the walk, if you ever go to one, you see the people who were there and they dress up in all sorts of things. And it's, you know, when you're with other people and people share that experience, it is a healing thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is a healing thing. It's so inspirational too. And I'm, I'm so, I'm inspired by your relationship with your goddaughter too. That's amazing. Is there anything else, any other special ways that you and your family honor Beth's memory? Um, no, we just, um, we just every year on her birthday, which was last month. And then on the time of her death, we just remember her and, you know, come together either in person or by zoom and, um, you know, share a moment. Mm. And, uh, luckily we were all, my family was all in Boston in August for my daughter's wedding. And the day after was my sister's birthday. And my brother had brought all these photos. He dug out photos from my sister's childhood all the way through to later in life. And and there we were at breakfast and my niece was there, you know, others were there. And he said, I just wanted to share these at breakfast today. And, you know, that was really special. I love that. I love that. Well, last question. And, and, and also just thank you for for sharing the, these intimate stories with us. It's so beneficial, so inspiring. Uh, last question. Do you have any final advice for any of our listeners? I think um, anyone who has breast cancer or and including metastatic breast cancer, I would just say, you know, it's a, it's a really hard thing and people, the people who love you are really there to help. And I would say, let them help because you deserve it. You know, we're all people. We're all people who care about other people and other people want to care about us. That's right. That's great advice. Well, Dr. Palmer, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you. I, you know, I love talking about my sister. So me too. Me too. All good. All funds donated to Komen this week will be dedicated to funding the cutting-edge research to one day end MBC. People living with MBC are desperately waiting for new treatments to extend and improve their quality of life. Visit komen.org forward slash support MBC to donate. Thanks for listening to Real Pink, a weekly podcast by Susan G. Komen. For more episodes, visit realpink.coman.org. And for more on breast cancer, visit coman.org. Make sure to check out at Susan G. Komen on social media. I'm your host, Adam. You can find me on Twitter at AJ Walker or on my blog, adamjwalker.com.